Brotherly Pod. Here it is Wednesday, October 6th, 2021. Here we are closing in on the beginning of the regular season. Preseason action. Got one more preseason Flyers game around Friday. Then they get a week off and then we uh, get ready for the real deal next Friday. So uh, I assume you're excited, Anthony, even though I feel like I just talked to you the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a minute. I guess you're not (laughs) sick of me yet. But uh, yeah, I'm Full disclosure, I hate the preseason. I could only typically get through like a period before just flipping in and out to like football or whatever. But uh, yeah, very happy to get the regular season going here. Yep, I've been uh, phasing in and out as well. I've seen all I need to see uh, to to get the basic storylines under control. But uh, we'll talk about the Flyers here in a little bit. But first, we're going to talk a little bit of Red Wings with a uh, new guest on the show, uh, Max Boltman of The Athletic. Max, how you doing? I'm doing really well, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, quite a few storylines for the Red Wings as well. Maybe the big one, uh, Jacob Verana out four months with shoulder surgery. Obviously expected to be a big part of that team. You know, what's that going to uh, affect them going into the year? Well, it's, it affects them tremendously. I mean, that he was, in my opinion, I think he was probably the favorite to be their leading scorer this season. And um, obviously a, a key piece coming back in the Anthony Mantha trade from last year. He, he was outstanding in the 11 games that he played in Detroit. I think he had eight goals in, in 11 games in Detroit last season. And, and obviously you don't expect that pace to continue, but you know, he was their most dangerous offensive player and now you lose him for four months. So tremendous impact. You can't replace him. That doesn't, you know, there's just no one, there's no one who's going to step in and do what he was going to do. Um, but they, they, you know, it did, did open up kind of a more obvious competition and, and that kind of has given way to maybe the most interesting storyline of the Red Wings preseason, which has been, Lucas Raymond, who's, who's been outstanding. And, and so it kind of looks like, at least to me, the competition between Lucas Raymond and Bobby Ryan for, for a spot um, in the Red Wings top six. Now, um, I don't know if it's, you know, Bobby Ryan's obviously on a professional tryout contract. So is it either or? Is there any world where they both could make it? You know, that, those are really good questions right now um, and, and questions that I think, you know, are probably the, the dominant questions with, with three preseason games left for the Red Wings. Um, but I, and I think both of those guys have been two of their more noticeable players in the preseason. Obviously, everybody knows Bobby Ryan and the skill that he brings. But Lucas Raymond was their fourth overall pick a couple of years back. That's the year that they were the worst team in the league by a mile, lost the draft lottery. They, they fall to the fourth pick. 
Um, and that's who they, they took, and, and he's been outstanding. I mean, he's got six points in three preseason games. He's been a difference maker on their power play, which was abysmal last season, and he's been a huge a huge factor on it so far for them in the preseason. So, And they got time. They got three games left to make the decision. They're not going to make it before that, um, and, and I think that makes a lot of sense for them. But to me, it, you know, Lucas Raymond's been one of their uh, better forwards so far in the preseason, and, and frankly, so is Bobby Ryan. So you mentioned Lucas Raymond kind of in a battle with Ryan for a top six job, but do you think that he's a lock to make the team regardless? And another first round pick from a couple of years ago, Moritz Sider, obviously has a very high ceiling. Do you see him making the team? And do you think either are in the running for a potential uh, Calder conversation? Um, Sider, yes. I think Sider's, you know, you use the word lock. I think Sider is more the lock and, and Raymond, I, I wouldn't use that word on yet, even though he's been the better one so far this preseason, just because, you know, he, he's a little younger. I think there, there's a little more, um, room for them to say, you know, Hey, they want to do what's best for his development. And, and, you know, I, I wouldn't call him a lock at this stage, even though he's been really good. And to me played well enough to, to deserve a, a roster spot, you know, there's, there's still time and I'm not going to call him a lock, uh, when there is still time in the preseason for things to change. I think they're going to use that time to, to evaluate and to continue to evaluate. But if both of them are in, I, I think both of them have, you know, varying degrees of, of uh, candidacy for the Calder, I, you know, like everyone else, I, I think, I think Cole Caulfield is the, the favorite up in Montreal. Um, he's a goal scorer. He's an amazing player. Um, and, and so for me like that, it, the Calder conversation, it goes through kind of Cole Caulfield first and foremost. Um, but, you know, like Lucas Raymond has a lot of pedigree, too. And, and if he makes the team, um, I think you could maybe see a world where he's in that conversation. If he's getting the right opportunities, the right power play looks, the right line mates, all of which I think kind of is a given if he makes the team. I don't think they'll put him on the team if if he was going to be in, in a bottom six role, frankly. So, um, you know, it, that's relevant. I mean, Cider, I, I think, could be one of the more impactful rookies in the league. But as we see, it's just really tough for defensemen to, to get – um, a ton of Calder love. It, it does happen. You know, Cal McCarr won it. Uh, I think Aaron Eckblad won it. But, you know, these are really, you know, Cal McCarr, especially dynamic offensive defensemen. And, and while I do think there's offense for more Cider, I do think you'll see him on the Red Wings power play this year. Um, he's not a Cal McCarr style defenseman. And so you, you go back and you look and you see like a Miro Haskinen, who was an amazing defender. And I'm not saying more Cider is Miro Haskinen. But Mira Haskin wasn't a Calder finalist, right? And so that tells you a lot about how hard it is for defensemen to get the kind of national, um, you know, acclaim and and uh, and all that, especially without maybe like amazing, amazing point totals. And Heiskanen still has offense, but it, and just like I think Cider does. But um, yeah, I, I think the Calder tends to kind of be a forward award. You mentioned the uh, power play there. Really not great in producing goals last year. 30th in the league in goals for 30th in the league on the power play. They parted ways with Dan Bilesma and replaced with Alex Tongay. Are they hoping the addition of the coaching change and players like Mo Sider really uh, turn their power play around? Yeah, and I, I would say even bigger than the addition of Mo Sider uh, for the power play speaking would, would be the addition of Nick Letty. And, and that's the guy they traded for this uh, this past offseason from the Islanders. You mentioned Alex Tongay. I think those are two huge parts of, of turning around that power play. It's been outstanding in the preseason, um, which has been kind of interesting to watch, especially the last year. They had four power play goals in their game on Monday night. So that obviously didn't happen for them very often last season. I, I mean, I don't think it happened for them at all last season. So 
um, you know, early indications for how much you guys want to put into preseason has been, hey, there's there's something here with the power play. Movement's a little better. Passing, I think, has been quick and crisp, and those are all good things you want to watch, but it's still the preseason. And so at the end of the day, um, the Red Wings, as you guys are well aware, do not have the offensive guns that most of the teams in the NHL have. And so I think that's it makes sense that their power play you know, lag is behind for that reason. But I do think it's been worse than it needed to be because there is still offensive talent on this team. And you look at Dylan Larkin, you look at a Robbie Fabry, who I think is one of the more underrated goal scorers in the league, pure goal scorer. He's got a great release. You, you look at Tyler Bertuzzi, who's just really good around the net and able to get quick shots off. Like there, there's no reason for them to be as bad as they've been. And so I think you bring in Alex Tangay, you bring in Nicoletti, and you hope those two go a long way toward getting them back toward a more reasonable output on the power play. Obviously, the Red Wings have not been big players in free agency the last number of years, but they did sign Pierce Suter this uh, summer to a two-year contract. What kind of impact does he look to have on the roster this season? I think he's going to be the second-line center, and I think he's going to play with Robbie Fabry, and really smart player, and so I think that's important for them is to have a guy who's going to make smart decisions, make crafty passes, you know, play potentially a role where, you know, they're, they're going to want their, their lines to be, they want to be a deep team and, and they haven't had that kind of second scoring line in a long time, um, which is a problem because they don't have the, you know, elite scores on the first line. Sometimes you can get away with not being the, the world's deepest team if you have elite game breakers. And that's kind of more the Edmonton Oiler model, right? Uh, not that the Edmonton Oilers have necessarily had the kind of success I'm sure they want to have, but, you know, they're a perfectly respectable team. They could beat, they can beat you in a playoff series if, if they're in it. And, um, you know, like when you have Connor McDavid and you have Leon Draisaitl, you can win any night, right? Rebels don't have either of those two guys. They don't have anyone close to either of those two guys. And so they need to win with depth and they just haven't had it. They haven't had scoring depth. They, you know, a couple of years ago, they had a line with Mantha, Bertuzzi and Larkin that was, I think, really dangerous and a little underrated for how well they played together and the outputs they had the shot share, the expected goal share that they were able to generate, but there was just nothing behind that. And, and and that's really been the case since. So if they're able to get something together with a second line of PU Suter, Robbie Fabry and player X, whether that's Lucas Raven, Bobby Ryan, Phillips, Adina, whoever it might be, Tyler Bertuzzi, even potentially though, I think it's more likely Bertuzzi plays with Larkin. It goes a long way just to have a little more scoring depth for them. The uh, Jeff Lashell head coach going into his seventh season in Detroit did sign an extension uh, in the middle of May. Uh, seemingly has drawn the ire of the fans, at least on the social media thing. How long is his leash this year? Is he still uh, giving? They just resigned him. Is he still, you know, uh, in their future plans? Well, yeah. I mean, they just extended him, right? So, I, obviously, that's as as professional sports coaches go. Being fresh off an extension is about the only clear indicator that you have that. Uh, you're, you're, you know, relatively secure. Like, the, they're a losing team. Like, it's, there's no doubt about that. And so, I think that that comes with a lot of scrutiny for for the coaches, especially, which is how it works in pro sports. And, you know, like we, like we, like I just said, I think they've also at times um, they haven't scored to the level that even maybe I think they could score. But I think part of that is, you know, the Red Wings are are going to kind of lean into a style of play that I think suits their roster, which is they're not going to give anything easy up, or at least that's what the coaching staff wants. They don't want to give anything easy up. And sometimes that means that they're playing more kind of 2-1, 3-2 games um, that I think are especially frustrating for fans. Um, they're okay with that because at least in a 2-1 game, they have a chance. Whereas 
you're just not going to see the Detroit Red Wings win game six to five. It's just not going to happen. Um, and, and it's, it's happened extremely infrequently over, over the last few years. So they lean into that style. And, and I think that is part of where the ire comes from, from the fan base is because they don't score. And, and uh, you know, that obviously that's a core tenant of playing hockey and, and winning hockey games to score. But I think they feel or, or have felt in the past, at least like, you know, a, a big key to their winning is to not give give anything up and to create offense efficiently, um, knowing that they're not a team that scores easy. And, and that's why the power play, frankly, is so important for them to, to circle back to what we were talking about a second ago. Like, if you're a team that doesn't score easy goals, it doesn't snap your fingers and create odd man rushes, um, it becomes even more important to take advantage of those precious, you know, five-on-four opportunities and so I, I, to kind of put a bow on it, like I think that's a lot of the frustration with with Jeff Blaschel from the fan base has to do with you know the offense and and so uh, I, I think it's pretty clear from the fact that they've extended him now under Steve Eiserman is that you know the Red Wings are willing to keep giving him um, you know contracts and I think that tells you that that there's at least some level of security there, but you know when you're a losing team security only goes so far so it's 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 a complicated question. Right now, they have four defensemen on expiring contracts and Letty, Danny Kaiser, Mark Stahl, and Troy Stetcher. And I think it's fair to say that the Red Wings won't really be in the playoff picture this uh, this season. Do you think that any, if not all, of these defensemen could be maybe shopped around the trade deadline for any teams looking for defensive depth? Uh, I mean, yeah, like kind of what you're saying, like it, when you're not in the playoff race, like you got to kind of take calls on, on especially all your guys who are expiring. Yeah. Um, you know, Letty's a guy who they just traded for. And I think, you know, he's really natural mentor to more insider, but yeah, if it, if it comes to the trade deadline and they're where I expect them to be, where it sounds like you guys expect them to be and the, still pretty clearly out of the playoff picture, then I think you have to take calls on, on a guy like that and maybe get back the pick that you gave up kind of thing to get him. But, um, you know, you, you move into some of the other guys and, you know, Troy Stetcher, I think was, was pretty good for them last year. They, they left him exposed in the expansion draft. That tells me, you know, more likely than not, it's not going to be an untouchable situation. Dana Kaiser was exposed in the expansion draft, you know, so Mark Stahl was a free agent. So to me, yeah, they all could be available. I mean, but a part of this too is the Red Wings are going to be a young team they got to have somebody around to, to kind of be the veteran on the team and you can't trade everybody away. But yeah, if you can get a good offer for one of those expiring contracts as a rebuilding team, you, you kind of have to really seriously explore it and, and ultimately probably take it. But could I tell you that I think they're going to trade four defense for that one trade deadline? I don't know how often that really happens in the NHL, you know? Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi still sitting out of the preseason uh, still recovering from his back surgery do they have a timeline on when he returns to their lineup uh, nothing specific I, I think they obviously would like him back for the start of the year um, he did play in the red and white game in, in training camp but you know it's, it's just been I, I mean he was injured in like the third week of the season third or fourth week of the season last year uh, it's been eight nine months since he played you know, a, a real NHL regular season hockey game. Um, and, and so it, it just, you know, I think part of the process of getting him back in now, I, to me, it would make a lot of sense to at least get him in the one postseason game if they can, if, if he's able um, just to, to have a, a little, you know, warm up to what that pace, that flow is going to be like. 
Um, but no, I don't have a date for you for for when Bertuzzi's game will be. When Bertuzzi's uh, first game back will be. One of the more impactful acquisitions that Eiserman made this summer was going out and acquiring Alex Nedeljkovic from the Carolina Hurricanes, signed to a two-year contract at three million per. Kind of solidifies that goaltending position for at least the short to midterm. Um, and what do you think that ultimately means for the position as a whole? Like Grice is on, in on an expiring contract as well. Do you think he could be in play at the deadline? Like, how do you ultimately see this goaltending position shaking out this season and maybe a bit beyond? Well, they just drafted a goalie in the first round this most recent year, Sebastian Posa. So I think, you know, long term, you obviously have to look at him as a as an important part of the the picture. And um, but Nedeljkovic is, is like you said, is a young guy, and I think. You know, to my eye, I would think um, could is a guy who could be around for a while, but he's he's not on a long term deal. I think he's I think he's a two year deal, so um, you have to always have to consider that. I think he'll be unrestricted free agent at the end of that. And um, to your point, Thomas Grice unrestricted at the end of this year. Like, yeah, I think you know, again, could be in play for sure. But how often do we see you know several goalies moved at the deadline? It, it happens, but it's just those are, those deals are more complicated. Last year, Jonathan Bernier was. Um, an expiring contract and a lot of people myself included thought he would make a lot of sense as a deadline move he he gets a little bit of an injury right before the deadline he stays put um, and ultimately not a ton of goalie movement last year either especially kind of among starting caliber goalies so um, you know Thomas Grice I think has been a, a goalie who has started has played in tandems um, I think he's a good goalie. I think he had a pretty solid second half of last season after a, a slower start kind of transitioning in Detroit. Um, but, you know, oftentimes the thing with goalies is if you're a team that's making a deadline trade for a player, it probably means you're a playoff team. How many playoff teams don't have a goalie? You know, not that many. It's kind of a prerequisite. So sometimes it takes a, an inopportune injury to a playoff team's goalie. Sometimes it takes a team that's, you know, maybe just a, they're somehow a playoff team in spite of shaky goaltending, which does happen. Um, but I think the goalie market is just a little harder to forecast, especially this far out from the trade deadline, because typically, if you're a good team, you've got your guy in that. I mean, Robbie, uh, Robbie Fabry puts up seemingly de- uh, decent offensive numbers, but, you know, between the injuries and just being unable to stay healthy, it seems to have limited his overall potential so far in the NHL. Is he healthy and ready to go into uh, the re- regular season this year? Yeah, he's been one of their best players in the preseason so far. Like, like I was just saying, I think he's an underrated goal scorer. You know, he's got a great release. Um, and, and, and really one thing that I know the Red Wings have been really happy with him about so far this preseason is his compete level, and, and he's really battled. It's a guy, to your point, who's had a lot of injuries in his career. Um, but, you know, since he's been in Detroit, he did have another um, injury last year that cost him some time. But he's been a really consistent, reliable scorer for them. And, and I think that's something, like we talked about, they desperately need. Um, and, yeah, you know, I, I think Robbie Fabry, so far in the preseason, to me, if I was picking right now, I might pick him to lead the Red Wings in goals because I, I just believe that much in, in his shot and I mean, his instincts getting to the right places and getting the puck off quick. Last year at the trade deadline, they made a pretty shocking deal moving Anthony Manta to the Washington Capitals for what was the main piece in Jacob Vrana and several other pieces as well. But do you foresee them moving another big-name player to that level? Or at this point, is the roster pretty much what you're going to see for the foreseeable future, aside from some moving parts here and there? 
I could see him moving another piece. Yeah, I mean, it, like it, it's, but again, it, it's all, it's all kind of abstract, right? Like I, I don't think uh, it's very hard to sit here in the first week of October and tell you how things are going to look, what players' values are going to be, um, and, and all that, you know, in in February and into March. So it, you know, I could see him moving another top six piece. Absolutely, like you know, they're, they're not at the place where I think you can say the rebuild is done. Um, and, and so when you have guys who they don't have anyone signed for, for long-term really, I just don't think there's very many untouchables in Detroit, but I don't think they're going to look to get rid of somebody just to get rid of somebody or just to make a move. You know, like I think it, you have to, that, that man, the trade, like, I think they got the better end of in the end, you know, they, they, and now obviously Rana being injured does affect that. They got a first round pick in that trade. They got a second round pick in that trade and they got Jacob Rana in that trade who, Again, I think was probably going to be their leading scorer this year, and and frankly, I think Anthony Manta, if he were still here, would have been as well. Um, but but to get a player who still could produce that way and get a first round pick and get a second round pick, that trade made a lot of sense for them to do. Um, if they get another trade that makes a lot of sense for them like that, sure. I mean, they're they're not in a state where they can really afford to to say no or or take anything take that many things off the table. Um, but you know, like I, it will be hard for me to sit here and tell you five months in advance who I think. You know, other teams are going to be, you know, willing to make that kind of offer for, or who the Red Wings would really consider it for. Because I also don't think it's a situation where, whatever you want off their roster, you could have. You know, like I, but but I just think there, there's not that many guys who they're in a position to take on a play, if that makes sense. The Red Wings are a team packed with young talent. They've got a pipeline full of prospects. When do they expect this rebuild to kind of start wrapping up and them to be a playoff team again? I mean, that, that's a million-dollar question, right? Um, I, they have, Steve Eisenman has been really careful since he became the GM to not put a timeline on when they, when they expect to be in the playoffs. Um, and, and frankly, that's probably the smart thing for him because any rebuild depends so much on all these factors out of your control, right? Like, is Lord Sider a, a good player? Is he a great player? Is Lucas Raymond a good player? Is he a great player? Is Phil Zadina a good player? Is he a great player? You know, NHL players, you know, the existing NHL players, have they reached their potential or is there still more to come? You know, the guys they draft, are they, are the NHL players? Are they good players? Are they great players? Like it depends so much on all of those little things. And given that they haven't used free agency as kind of their main means of, of acquisition, I tend to think that, you know, the longer view makes more sense here. Like, I don't think it's this year. I don't think it's next year that they're back in the playoffs. Maybe it's the year after that. I don't know. But a lot of it depends. You know, if, if Lucas Raymond comes in and is a really great player pretty quickly, if Mort Sutter comes in and is a really great player pretty quickly, that can affect the timeline like substantially to, to have that, those level of players. If they come in and they're okay players or they're good players, you know, that affects it too in, in, in the other direction. So, it, you know, I wouldn't be able to, to tell you kind of that there's a target year or anything like that. I think, I think, what Steve Eiserman has been careful to do is avoid that. And, and ultimately, you know, it's going to depend a lot on how well they're able to do the drafting and developing portion, which is a really unpredictable thing to try to set timelines for. So last one for you, Max, uh, first round pick for a few years ago, Joe Valeno has kind of had a so, so start to his professional career. How has he looked in training camp and where do you ultimately see him fitting in on the depth chart this season? He's looked uh, good to me in training camp. You know, Joe's a fast player. Everyone, 
has raved kind of about the physical strength improvements that he's made um, in the off season. But in terms of the depth chart, like I don't, I couldn't tell you today that I even necessarily think he is on the team, right? Like it's some of it depends on what the injury situations will be like. Michael Rasmussen's been a little banged up, and I think that would kind of create the the window that Valeno would need to be on the team. Um, but with that said, um, it, if everyone's healthy, like it wouldn't shock me if he starts in the AHL, just because the Red Wings, I don't think, want to play a player like Valeno on the fourth line. And, and they, frankly, they have a guy in Mitchell Stevens who they traded for this offseason, who I think has made a pretty strong impression to play as the fourth line center this year. So right now, I would say, you know, on the depth chart, Joe Valeno probably projects to be in the American League if everyone stays healthy. But that can change with injuries, and I think he looks to me like an NHL player. Um, but but I, I couldn't tell you right now that I think he will be on the NHL roster on opening night unless somebody's not healthy, which is a, certainly a possibility. Uh, but but I think he's played really well in the preseason, and I think you can you can see um, in, in his game that that he's evolved to the point where I think he could absolutely hold his own in the NHL, and I expect to see him in the NHL this season. I just don't know that it'll be on opening night necessarily. Well, Max, thank you very much for taking your time today and come talk to us and uh, stay safe out there. Yeah, guys, thanks very much for having me and uh, have, a, have a great uh, rest of the day and the start of the season. Yep, you too. Thanks, man. Talk soon. All right, man. Take care. Wow. Right, everybody, that was Max Boltman talking some Red Wings. Yet another team off the list here. I think we're down to two, right? Ducks and Kraken that are left. Yeah, that's it. Uh, harder than you would think finding a ducks and a cracking guy there's actually there's a guy i write with at the fourth period felix who's a ducks guy really good by the way but i've asked him in the past several times but it's just the time difference never mm, really adds up that's all i think the one well we've always had db for the kings yep. and shang pang for the san jose sharks and i guess vancouver we had a few I, i'm losing track now Something like that. I don't remember yeah. who's who anymore. <laughs> but uh, back to the Flyers. Uh, played their second-to-last preseason game last night. It was their C squad against uh, the Islanders A squad. I watched the first period. Um, did not feel the need to watch the last two. Apparently it got a little better uh, as the game went on. I don't know why they decided now in your second-last preseason game to ice the squad. You should have been icing from game one. But, hey, what do I know? I'm not the coach. But, uh you know, some names in that one. Obviously, there was the Sandheimer Stalinen pair was out there. Drew some heavy praise from the coach. Av and uh, Tarion. Somebody else praised him. I don't remember who it was, but uh, apparently they're doing well. Jones still shaky, but fine, which has been the story of his last two starts in the preseason. The first one against Boston was not great. Everything since he you know, let in a few couple early ones, but then got uh, got stronger as the game went on, which is you know, not the great way to approach a backup. But you know, if he can get the job done, he can get the job done. Unfortunately, the offense wasn't showing up for that one. And then the other two uh, polarizing figures through preseason thus far have been Morgan Frost and Derek Broussard. And the the interesting duality there of the twenty some year old kid Morgan Frost looking to make his spot in the 30-some-year-old Derek Broussard, you know, the veteran walking onto the scene, and I saw somebody on Twitter put it best, where Broussard is acting like the 20-year-old fighting for a spot, and Frost is the one coming in with the veteran, you know, kind of relaxed and whatnot, and I don't know, I could rant and rave for an hour on Morgan Frost, but uh, I, I, he's not actively screwing anything up, which is a step in the right direction compared to what I've seen out of him in the past, 
Um, but I think he's trying too hard to be a responsible hockey player that he's not letting the offense go. I forget who it was that described him as, it might have been Bill Meltzer actually, that said he's too busy worrying about getting to the puck versus where the puck's going to be. And uh, I think that's a pretty good way of putting it. And, you know, he's not making any mistakes. And quite frankly, if this was, if Hayes was healthy and Frost was fighting for the third line center spot, which is how this should have happened uh, going into camp if Hayes didn't have last minute surgery, um, I would be fine with this because he's, you know, he's responsible, not doing anything wrong, not necessarily doing anything overly great either, but, you know, he can hold himself. Now that he's your 2C with quite literally nobody behind him, you know, they don't have another top option there. Um, it's not enough to just be able to keep your head above water for a lot of this stuff. And I've been uh, rather disappointed overall with Frost. There's a lot of gaslighting going on on Twitter, by the way. Everybody's, oh my god, this guy, he just had a great period. And I'm like, yeah, he was fine. Um, you know, we all know who is uh, plugging Morgan Frost harder than others at this point. But Broussard, on the other hand, I really like Derek Broussard. Uh, I talked a little about this on Twitter last night, where I was skeptical of his signing at first, not because of his level of play, but because of what he had left in the tank. I thought this was going to be a guy that would tandem in and out on the fourth line with Nate Thompson for most of the season. But, I mean, he's bringing the energy. He's got all the little tricks up his sleeve. A lot of the same things I've been praising Keith Yandel on, I'm going to praise Derek Broussard on. It's just, you know, he's clearly been around the block. He knows a thing or two. He's got all these little maneuvers that he does, especially in the power play last night. looked pretty good at just moving the puck quick and... uh been pleasantly surprised with Broussard overall, and if he can keep this energy up throughout the year, it's a very, very good value signing there, and could quite literally probably push Morgan Frost down before Hayes even gets back. And that's the question I was going to ask you. Like, assuming Hayes was healthy, at this point in time, who would you start at 3C, Broussard or Frost? Probably Broussard. I think that would have been my guess. You know, my original prediction was that Frost was going to start the season in Lehigh. That, you know, it was going to be uh, some combination of Broussard or Thompson or Lawton at 3C, and they were going to let Frost go down to Lehigh, get a whole bunch of ice time, you know, the top guy and all the special teams play, let him kind of get his legs under. Because remember, he is coming back from his uh, shoulder surgery. Missed all of last season, hasn't played consistent hockey since March of 2020, you know. I would assume they would have let him go down to the HL and get some, you know, get his legs back under him and then throw him into the game. But because of the Hayes injury, because they didn't sign a legitimate 3C um, in the offseason, they they have no choice but to roll with Frost. So if things were normal and Hayes was here, I don't know if Frost has a roster spot or not. And it's just, like, you know what? I'm very happy that they have Broussard for this reason. Yes. And I wasn't expecting him to be this pumped up, but I think he is just happy in his spot. Like, there's familiarity with the coach, with several players. He clearly wanted to sign here. Like, you know, he alluded to it when he did uh, sign and he had the the media availability that he could have gotten money elsewhere. And I think that this is just a very good fit for Derek Broussard. And he knows that, you know, if he loses out this spot, this may be his final kick at the can to be an everyday NHL player. And for Frost, maybe there is some a bit of him being just a bit too comfortable trying to focus too much on the defensive side of the game. And like you said, it's not so much that he's playing bad. It's just that for what he's supposed to be and what they need him to be yes. and what everyone yeah. else has told us that he is, you want him to be better. And the thing is, is that 
people don't like to hear this, but coaches generally will favor a veteran if you are just another guy, as we always say. If you're just a guy, they'll err on the side of a veteran. And you can scream about AV doing it. We heard them screaming about when Haxtell did it. And, like, even a guy like Dominic Ducharme with the Montreal Canadiens, and he was a guy that was the coach of Team Canada at the World Juniors two years in a row, won the gold medal one year. Everyone thought that he was a pro you know, young guy line or young guy coach rather. And then what was his fourth line in the playoffs? Armia, Stahl, Perry. And he benched just Perry, Cock, and Niemi. So unless that you're a young player that forces the coach's hand like Cole Caulfield did in Montreal or like Joel Farabee has done here in Philadelphia, if you're just going to be another dude in the middle to bottom six, the coach is going to go with the veteran because the veteran knows how to play that role and not have to think about it. And I think that's the difference right now is when I watch Broussard and Frost playing is that if you really balance them against one another, I would say Broussard is marginally better, not extremely better, but he's been marginally better. But he looks like a guy who's not thinking right now and just playing the game as opposed to Frost, who is really kind of thinking too much and again not playing bad but clearly not exactly comfortable either yeah and it's going to be a trial by fire for frost here and again this is the benefit of well maybe not the benefit the 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 whatever the uh antonym of benefit is but uh you know going to the ahl and getting his chance to get his legs back you know now you're thrown directly into the fire in the 2c role which you were never ready for to begin with you know, now you going, you know, two points per game in his junior career. And look at all these amazing highlights from his time in Lehigh. And it's all great. But, you know, when you come to the NHL, it's a different beast. And especially when you're playing 2C in the NHL, um, you know, you got to be able to do a little bit of everything. And and I just don't know if that's the case. And <laughs> all these people, oh, my God, Frost had a great pass in that one. He's had three or four great passes through the preseason. It's like, who cares? You know, he is trending in the right direction. I will give him the benefit of the doubt, see what he looks like through his first few real NHL games. Maybe some of the butterflies will go away and he can, you know, just kind of start playing a normal game of hockey in the you know near future here but man there are a lot of things that i i've seen in this game that i've been complaining about for better part of what three years now and uh i don't know just uh i feel like i'm gonna be able to say i told you so quite a bit this year and which i don't take any pleasure in by the way but uh i don't know you just got to see a lot more from morgan frost and i don't know if he's the kind of guy that has him in or not because there also is the element that we've been saying is that the guys played four periods of hockey in 18 19 months yeah so why were we expecting him to show up and blows the doors off the camp? Like, you know, that's what I'm kind of where I'm at. I'm not ready to throw in the towel and say he's a bust or anything, but I never really thought that he was going to be an impact player, at least right out of the gate this year. And that's what I've always maintained with Frost is not so much that I don't think he's going to be a good NHL player one day. I think that in five years from now, he will be at least three years into having a solid angel job locked down. I'm just worried if his timeline is going to match up with the Flyers. And I've always been worried about that because he has taken a bit of a slower approach and then COVID hit. So, I mean, you know, you're five years out now from your draft year. And now the Flyers theoretically are going to be looking to contend this year. They kind of went down the road of trading draft picks this summer. So if you want to make a significant add at the trade deadline, is that going to be more trading young players and prospects? Like, 
if he's not on the team by, let's say, the trade deadline, I would much rather dangle him than a first-round pick. I don't know about you. I do have Frost listed as number one in my top five players likely uh, to be traded next uh, piece that I wrote a few weeks ago because he's just he's the natural guy to send to a team you know hell even like the Red Wings you know somebody that may not be good now but could be good in a few years you know kind of let Morgan Frost you know sharpen his teeth with that team for a while or something along those lines obviously I don't think the Flyers were interested in anybody in the Red Wings but you know it's it's I don't think we're going to see Hayes anytime soon. Um, it, I mean, I don't know when his timeline was, but six to eight weeks or something into September, you know, takes him to what? Maybe American Thanksgiving, uh, mid and end November kind of thing. Uh, and again, considering he's had two abdominal surgeries, I assume he's not going to look great upon his return to begin with. Um, so, you know, Frost may be around for a little bit just because that they can always try him on the wing but you're so goddamn deep on the wings where you don't have a lot of options there um so i, I don't know he, he's just if he cannot lock down one of these center spots unanimously definitively before kevin hayes goes back i don't know where you put this guy because <laughs> at that point you know it's, it's still not a big sample size but it, it's something where he's getting to this point in his career where you can no longer hope and dream that he's going to be the two point per guy uh, per game guy that he was back in juniors. Well, again, and it's not even to say like, you don't think that he's going to get there one day. Like I said, like it would be completely reasonable if he takes the full year in Lehigh Valley to really get things going. Sure. Again. Like he yeah. missed so much time. And you know what, if this was the Detroit Red Wings or, you know, whatever rebuilding team X, then yeah, sure. Go with Frost. Try live with the growing pains. Take your time with them. Like there's no rush. But the thing is, here with the Flyers now, they want to win. I mean, I think the moves this summer were indicative of that. And they still need a center, even if Kevin Hayes is healthy. Like unless Derek Broussard proves to be a very good three C, I still think they need a center. And again, I'm just using his name because he's the big name out there right now, Thomas Hurdle. Like, if the if the deadline comes around and they're a Thomas Hurdle away, are you not going to move on from a guy like Frost in a package to get Hurdle because he may become a good second-line player in a year or so? And that's where I'm at with him. Like, I have no doubt that he'll make the NHL one day. I just... It's getting to a point with Frost now is that... He's providing no value to the organization for what the organization needs. Because the thing is, is that if he, like, he's getting even older now. Like, he, there's a pretty big gap between, let's say, like, him and, like, the Tyson Forsters of the world, if you know what I mean. Or even Cam York. Like, there's a two-year difference between York and, and um, Morgan Frost. Frost is going to be 23 in the spring, and Forster turns 20 in early January. And the other thing is, and to your point, like, yeah, maybe he finds his home on the wing ultimately as an everyday NHLer, but the Flyers don't need another winger. No. They really, really don't. Like, look at the guys on their roster right now who theoretically will be here for at least three seasons. Okay, so you have Cam Atkinson, you have Oscar Lindblom, Joel Farabee, Wade Allison, and then probably Travis Konechny. So yep. what, that's five? Yep. Then that's to say nothing if of Scott Lawton, who is more of a winger at this point, if they keep Claude Giroux around, and I think it will be one of Giroux or Van Riemsdyk, so there's one there. Then you have a guy like Zade Wisdom, 
Tyson Forster? Will a guy like Ratcliffe ever break through? Desnoyer, well, he's more of a center, I believe, at this point. But what I'm saying, all this to say is that the Flyers are locked and loaded at wing, both yeah. now and in the future. So if he's going to be a winger, then that's all the more reason to trade him. You, they need a center. I don't know how to break this down anymore. They need a long-term center. Because after Morgan Frost, and I'm not going to count guys like Lazinski and Bonneman, because I think even if they become every day NHLers one day, their their ceiling is absolutely as a 4C. But after Morgan Frost, who's the best center in the system? Desnoyer? Uh, probably. Uh, like, I'm really trying Lezinski to think right maybe? now. maybe? <laughs> like, then he's gone for the year with an injury. It just, you don't have a lot of... And he's of... already 24. Yeah, he's 24. Uh... I, I, Garmin Rubsov. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't but, know. And that's the thing is like maybe Rubsov makes the NHL one day. Maybe Lazinski, when he finally gets healthy, makes the NHL one day. But are these guys anything more than like four C's in a realistic not, no. room? Like what besides Morgan Frost, what's the next guy who has the potential to be like a three C or better in the NHL? That's why, right? Probably. I think Tyson Forster is a full time winger these days. Uh Destiny may be the one guy down the middle you have. Uh, maybe wisdom one day, but I, I don't think that day's soon. Uh, yeah. Matt Strom. <laughs> God, so that, that, still that's hanging around. Fuck, go away. <laughs> and I thought wisdom was more of a winger. But you saw him more than me, so. I think he was doing both. I think he and uh, Forster both were center and wing last year, uh, moving back and forth, but... And I don't know about you, but I don't think that the Flyers are in a position to wait for guys like even a Wisdom or a Destinoyer to get to the NHL. No, that's and become two or three a... years down the line at least right now. So that's the point. So where I'm at is that, but and again, maybe Broussard proves to be just a fine 3C and he could be a stopgap to one of these guys. But I... I mean, if we're being realistic now, I don't know if Derek Broussard as your 3C in 2021 is going to win you a Stanley Cup or even contend for one. Like, do you think that by the trade deadline, if they really have cup aspirations, they're going to need to add another centerman? I would assume a middle six center is your number one priority at the trade deadline, pretty much regardless at this point. Even if Hayes come back, even if Frost is a semi-competent player, even if Broussard can keep up some energy, like you need somebody else to legitimately hold down the fort here. You know, you know, uh, Broussard and Frost, you can both move into wing if you have to and bump Bobby Kubel or whatever. But, you know, going forward, and again, we talked about this, Sam Reinhardt. You know, somebody like that would have been such a great goddamn acquisition, uh, acquisition this summer. Um, and they didn't do it, and I'm still sad about that. But, uh, you know, they didn't do it. Now they're, you know, paying for it right out of the gate with putting all this weight on Frost and uh, Derek Broussard to uh, carry the <laughs> middle six, essentially. Yeah, I'm looking, like, obviously Hurdle's a name, but then, you know, we spoke to Craig Morgan a few weeks ago, like maybe a Nick Schmaltz. But he has four years left at $5.85 million. Sure. So, so I mean, is that a guy? Like, the only decent thing is that he's under contract till he's 29. So he's still theoretically in his prime. Like, that's another thing is that if you're kind of adding a center, is it just another stopgap piece? Or are you trying to get something more 
long term so that you can go into next year like these are our three centers like when's the last time the flyers let's say two consecutive years let's say went in with the same three centers uh, god probably brain shen was still here at the time right like Giroux, shen katoria yeah probably I I mean, like, look, like, I, I don't really know, like, and I mean, Max kind of said it perfectly, like, you can't really predict what's going to be happening by late February before the season even starts. So a lot of things can change here. And like I said, maybe Frost blows the doors off. Maybe Derek Broussard turns the clock back to 2014. Like, who knows? It's just I and you made a good point. I think that the Hayes injury is also going to play a factor in this because how healthy is he going to be when he comes back? Yeah. I mean, one abdominal injury is hard to come back from. We've seen it in the past with Giroux and Ghost and Elliot. Now he has two. I believe they're two separate ones as well, uh, which is not great. Um, you know, very little time to train. I believe he was on the ice, just, you know, in a kind of uh, open skates for, what, two games? Uh, well, two days, I should say, uh, before he you know, felt something and, and ultimately ended up getting surgery again. So not a lot of time there. And I don't know, those, uh, those, uh, things are not easy to come back from and to come back from two in the same summer and essentially go time as well. By the time he gets back, the flyers are going to be well into their season. And yeah. I don't know, it's going to be a, uh, difficult road for Kevin Hayes there to, uh, to work back from, which again is not great. Uh, when you're looking for options down the middle, because he probably won't be a super useful one out of the gate. Yeah. Well, I mean, either way, I think the center ice position is just, again, going to be a point of topic or a big topic throughout this whole season. And I mean, maybe they finally solidify it with like a Tomas hurdle, but I mean, I don't know. I just hope it's not like another Derek Grant acquisition, but I mean, at least with that, we won't see anything of that type because they've already kind of done that with Derek Broussard. Yeah, I think they, they with uh, between Broussard and Thompson, I think they have their uh, depth centers at this point. If they're going for one, they're probably going uh, bigger game hunting than just some fourth-line scrub. So. And so I guess now, next time we speak, we will be just days away from the regular season. Yep. Oh, I can't wait, man. Preseason fucking sucks. I, I've, I've never been able to get up for it. Like, I see people, like, freaking out about it, and then I'll try and tune in. I'm just <laughs> like, oh, Nabeku Bell's on the power play. Click. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've checked out at least parts of every game, but I'm finding it very difficult to uh, hold my attention here. I know all the storylines now. We all know what the hell's going on, who's doing what. And we got one more against the Caps Friday. Uh, then have a full week off before their season opening against Vancouver on the 15th. So there you go, everybody. This is my fifth show in five days, I believe, here. Uh, You're exhausted yet? <laughs> I was calling everybody the wrong name on the, uh, the Shane show last night just because I fucking don't know what's going on anymore. One more at least this week. We got the Frequent Flyer on Friday. Uh, I don't know if we're doing an early pod on Sunday or not, but uh, at least one more this week. So thank you all for listening. I know <laughs> five straight shows in five days, I realize is a lot, but uh, you guys have uh, clearly been enjoying it. Uh, the numbers have been staying up, which is good. Good to see that everyone's enjoying it. So um, plenty of stuff on brotherlypuck.com now. At Dan the Flyer fan, at brotherlypuck, at brotherly underscore pod. 
And, uh, yeah, Frequent Flyer, last one of the week on Friday. And, uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Adamarka25. All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night. Damn! Damn!